This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ever been ringside and got blood on you? Oh, all the time. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was really embarrassing. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we are going to get into the futures of Canelo Alvarez and Ryan Garcia 2021, potentially being a pretty good year for both men. couple other topics as well. To join me to talk about that and much more, Kevin Ioli, senior boxing and MMA writer over at Yahoo Sports. Kevin, I think we've passed the happy new year, Mark, right? Like we're, we've, we've, we're done. We're done. Okay, yeah. I think like January 2nd is when you, you're you done with that. How you feel? Yeah, I think we can, there's a lot of other things we can say now, but uh, we will keep it apolitical. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Happy uh, almost election uh, or almost inauguration day. But uh, that's exactly uh, definitely for a different podcast. I'm uh, glad you could be here, though, because I, I do want to get into some, some interesting topics, I think, in the boxing world right yeah. now. And I want to start with, with Canelo Alvarez, who by... Uh, you know, by benefiting from fighting in December, has the opportunity after a one-fight 2020 to be really active in 2021. We've heard about a potential fight in February against his uh, mandatory Yildirim. That's the WBC mandatory. And then, who knows what could happen, depending on what side of the street he signs for. You know kind of all the alternatives, Kevin, whether it's a matchroom deal that results in a fight with Billy Joe Saunders in May, a, a PBC deal, which ends with a, a fight against Caleb Plant, another super middleweight title holder in May. Uh, what do you think is the best path for Canelo Alvarez in 2021? 
Well, I think, you know, the best thing is for him to fight both of those guys in 2021. And, and I, I will throw this in, you know, a fight that's not being talked about, but, you know, he won a light heavyweight belt. We know it wasn't a, the official belt, but he won a belt at 175. I like to see him fight better be You know, I think that's a tough fight for him. You know, you think of every other fight out there and he's going to be a favorite. Is he the favorite over Better BF? I don't know. Um, so I think that that is a fight for him. But I think the more realistic option is him going 168. So I think in whatever order he can go, Saunders, Plant, or vice versa, I think that's the way to go. I, I think Plant is uh, a really an interesting guy. And I, I think, you know, he could give Canelo a really good fight, as I do think Saunders could too. I think uh, Canelo will find a way to handle Saunders. But I think Caleb Plant has, you know, has a good overall game. And would really make that a, a fascinating fight. I'm not saying he would win the fight. I think Canelo is that you know that good and that much up. But I think uh, Caleb Plant would really make him work, and I think that could be a fun fight. Yeah, when you're talking Plant Saunders, to me, it's six and one, half dozen the other. They're both slick boxers that do uh, different things, but uh, you know, win by outboxing opponents. Um, I, I don't know that he'd have a problem with either one of them because Canelo is so good in the ring that he eventually just wears guys down and beats them down in the way he did uh, against Callum Smith. And, and look, I'd be interested to see what exactly the PBC offer looks like. Does Canelo in that fight against Yildirim wind up with the kind of exposure you would get on, say, a CBS if they decided to get into boxing and show that fight as part of a Showtime deal? Or on Free Fox as part of a deal that would eventually result in uh, Smith, uh, or sorry, Plant versus Canelo on pay-per-view in May. I mean, getting exposure could certainly be a good thing uh, for Canelo after fighting you know, almost exclusively on pay-per-view uh, with HBO and then, of course, a subscription service uh, like DAZN. Or does he prefer to continue working with Eddie Hearn? I, I did think, you know, Kevin, it was, it was interesting watching Canelo walk into the Ryan Garcia fight with a matchroom mask on. That was uh, an interesting uh, sight to see. Uh, maybe a message to Golden Boy uh, being sent by Canelo. But I think it's... To me, it's six and one half dozen uh, the other day. Let me let me just ask you that. I mean, how, uh, you know, if you're Canelo Alvarez, how much does exposure at this point matter to you? If you have an opportunity to fight on CBS or Fox and the money is comparable, I mean, do you jump at it? I, I don't think the you know the the exposure for him at this point of the game is really going to make that much of a difference. I mean, he's at that legacy building stage. He's going to get big, big money. He's making eight figure paychecks from here on out. Um, so whoever he fights, you know, he's going to get you know fifteen, twenty, you know, or more uh, more dollars depending on who it is. So I don't I don't think it's the exposure and having people in the U.S. you know necessarily know who he is or or think anything of him. I I think it's going to be the match. And I think that's really what is going to drive him. And that's why I mentioned Better Be. You know, I, I, I look at that fight and I say, hey, I think Better Be would be a favorite. You know, I don't know what the odds makers would come up. But when I pair them up and I look at them, I said, boy, this Better Be is damn good. And he but he's 35. Right. Um, so he doesn't have a lot of time. You wonder how, you know, he's an incredibly fit guy. That's why I like that fight, because that's a fight that Canelo might lose. And I think that gets people interested, right? And that's a fight that, you know, people would talk about. Whereas you go in, like you say, I, I think Plant um, is a little better than just, nah, you know, I think he's, he, you know, I think he, you, I agree with you. He's a good boxer. I think he has a little zip on his punch. Not He's not a knockout puncher, but I think, you know, he, he's going to make Canelo respect him more than, say, Smith did in that last fight. 
And I think that makes it, to me, um, a, a more fascinating fight. But I, I would like to see him really take the risk and say, hey, let, let's fight a better Biev and prove that I'm the best at 175. Because if he beats better Biev, now you're talking about he was the best at 160, you know, 168. Now you go to 175. I mean, you're getting into all-time territory at that point. Yeah, I, I just, you know, better Biev just seems like too big. At this point, and too physical. I mean, I was ringside when Better Biev unified the titles uh, last year, and he, yeah. he just he walks guys down, man. Like he walks yes, them he down, does. and he beats them up, and he hurts them. I mean, I'm blanking on who he beat uh, last year. The Vodzik. yeah, Vodzik, who retired after that fight. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. and maybe not necessarily because of the beating he took against Better Biev, but he took a a pretty good beating. Uh, in that fight, I'm not so sure I I need to see Canelo go through with that. And I don't know that there's that much of an upside there. I mean, Better Biev is known to people like you and me. Nobody in the U.S. really knows him. I mean, there was nobody in Philadelphia at that fight for Better Biev Vodzik. And what was an, an excellent fight, like a true yeah. boxing matchup. I just don't know that enough people know him. But I think Canelo fights are different. And so what happens, you know, you're fighting Vodzik. There's limited media there and everything. You know, you fight Canelo and the media is going to tell the story. So we're going to be out there telling the story that, you know, when he fights Caleb Plant or when he fights Billy Joe Saunders, are there people going to say, you know, that Canelo could lose? Probably not. You know, I think virtually every single person would, would pick Canelo to win the fight. And there's not going to be that passion among media members are going out there saying, oh, Caleb Plant's the guy to beat Canelo, blah, 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 blah. You know, maybe Demetrius Andre, you know, it would be the guy. Uh, but he would, people wouldn't think he would beat him. They would think he would trick him, right? And and I think that's what, you know, if he beat him, and I'm not even saying that he would. But, you know, that, so I think that that fight is not the, the one but to me like when you look hey canelo fought a knockout puncher in, in kovalev um he fought at 75 he said he's a good enough to be a 75 champ fight a 75 pounder <laughs> let's see what you're really made of and you beat that guy and that is a big big win you know i'm not opposed to canelo fighting at 175 again I, I, what i'd like to see happen is to see better bf go on you know, eventually get back in the ring against his mandatory deal with that if he beats joe smith um, and Joe Smith has the WBO title, then you've got three pieces of it. And then I'd like to see better be at versus Bevel, you know, before the end of the year. And, oh, it's good. I like Yeah, and, yeah. and like, you know, and if, if better be at beats Bevel, or if Bevel beats better be at, which I think is very possible, Bevel is a very, very good fighter. If Bevel beats better be at, then Canelo can jump back up to 175 and fight for the undisputed 175 pound championship. I just but think here's the problem with that. If you want to see Canelo take that risk, and I think Bivol would be a good opponent for Canelo too. And Bivol saying he can make 168. So Bivol would make like 147 to get a real fight at this point. He's just like waving his arms exactly. around out there, going, "Somebody fight me!" <laughs> yeah, you only need one leg. You know, whatever you need one leg to stand on. That that'd be all. But you know, I think. Um, you know, the problem you have in the scenario you laid out makes a lot of sense from a business standpoint, a promoter standpoint, but you're talking about a 35, almost 36 year old better BF. How long do you wait? That's three fights that, you know, that you just laid out. Canelo then would be the fourth fight. Um, what, what is the difference over that period of time? And I think, you know, when you get to that age, I, I, I think he's a special athlete. You see his conditioning. I mean, some of the videos he puts out is crazy. The kind, so I don't think 35 is the same as it used to be 15 years ago. But we see fighters that, you know, when they get to that, you know, 35 plus point, you know, a lot of times they fall off a cliff. And so well, I would like to see the fight. You know, I, 
I'm just probably uh, out on an island by myself, Chris, you know, talking about that one. I just think that that I want to see a fight where it gets people excited because Canelo can lose. And I think, you know, with the exception of maybe Golovkin, which I, I doubt happens, you know, there's not a fight out there that people think that Canelo could lose. And I think the big fights are going to be when it's a 50-50 split. And that, to me, that's the, that's the better be a fight. Hey, there's nothing wrong with being on an island. I've been on Andre Charlo Island for the better part of a year now, so... It's acceptable to uh, go out there and uh, take some risks with matchmaking. Um, you mentioned Golovkin. Let's talk about that for a second because one of the things that struck me when the deal with Matchroom was being rumored where Eddie Hearn would come in, find the money for Canelo to face Yildirim in a fight that, I mean, nobody believes Canelo. That's Rocky Fielding-esque is what that fight is. Uh, it's a gimme fight for Canelo. And then you had Saunders which would be the next fight, which made some sense for DAZN because you could do it right. either in the UK or in the afternoon in the US and build up that audience they're trying to build up. Um, but they left it open-ended on a two-fight deal, and that made sense to me because you could make the Golovkin fight later in the year at a different price point. I mean, the Canelo-Golovkin negotiations are negotiations unto themselves. Like those, that, those talks have to be figured out specifically for that fight because of how much money was involved. That's why I, I thought that kind of deal made a little bit more sense because Golovkin could be waiting on the other side. And I got a little more interested, Kevin, when I started to hear about Golovkin, Jaime Munguia, which, you know, is, look, it's a great action fight. There's no question about that. Those are two guys who's going to come forward and throw bombs at each other. I believe Golovkin still has enough left to win, but we'll see, you know, what Munguia looks like uh, at 160. Where, where do you think Golovkin fits in in all this, if at all, in 2021? You know, I thought Golovkin looked good. And I know Zaremeta, you know, is not much and everything. So you can't really take. But I thought, like, he looked quick. He looked strong. Um, you know, the things that you want to see out of a fighter, I think you saw from Gennady Golovkin. Um, you know, everybody and his brother said when he fought uh, Derevchenko, he was sick. And I, I think, you know, that that's a fair excuse. You know, number one, when have you seen Derevchenko fight that way, right? You know, he came up and he, and he stepped up his game. And I think, so if, if we accept the fact that Gennady's sick, because he's not a guy that makes excuses. And, you know, I don't think he was even the one that put it out. I think Tom Loeffler was the one that uh, let it get out, uh, that he was ill. You know, I, I give him a pass for that fight. And, you know, so he hasn't really fought those, you know, big fights other than uh, than Derevchenko, you know, since he fought Canelo. Uh, I think he still looks like, you know, is he the 2015 Gennady Golovkin? No, I don't think he is. But I think he's still at that really, really high level that I would favor him, you know, in uh, most of the fights that he could potentially take. You know, hey, you, you mentioned uh, Charlo. You know, if Gennady's insistent on staying at middleweight, that's a fight that, you know, that would be interesting. And, you know, you're going to put him in with a guy with fast hands and uh i think that would be a fascinating fight you know you bring up charlo i don't know where he goes right now i kind of i saw ronnie shields down in texas uh during the ryan garcia fight and i just in passing yelled at him like charlo android ronnie make it happen as i always do to anyone that's even remotely involved in that fight but yeah, i saw chris eubank signed with sourland which i guess doesn't preclude a fight against Charlo, but now you hear Eubank calling out Golovkin and other people in the middleweight division. I don't know where Charlo goes from here. I mean, he's 30 years old, the prime years of his career. I don't know what he does at this point, Kevin. I'm not sure what is the viable option for Charlo in the first quarter of 2021. 
Yeah, there, there are so many, you know, strange things going on in boxing. And like one of the things that's strange to me is some of the people in the media, like they almost get angry when you say, I want to see these guys fight each other, right? You know, you and I are among those that call people out and say, let's do it. And and I had written a column, you know, talking about um, uh, wanting to see guys fight each other and not ma- let fights marinate and all, and, and all this BS that, you know, that we see. And I'm getting called out by, by my peers. It's like, no, this is what we should want. We want the best, you know, I, and, and I think, you know, when you look at all this side of the street stuff that has to end. And I think, you know, PBC is really bad at that. You know, they they play that, you know, leverage game, um, you know, a lot. I, I, hey, I'll give Oscar credit. You know what? You know, I have a lot of issues with something that Golden Boy does, you know, as promoters. But the one thing that they're willing to do is put their guys in tough fights. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that's what's going to bring boxing back. You know, uh, I know in talking to Todd DeBuff, you know, they're going to put um, – we have Valdez and Burchell coming up on ESPN. They're going to put Ramirez and Josh Taylor on ESPN. You know, you're going to see those level of fights because, you know, his belief is, and I agree completely with it. If you start getting that audience, you know, the audience right now is not really ready for pay-per-view. The only pay-per-view the audience is going to buy is like the really mega pay-per-views, the tentpole events. They're going to buy those. So you have to get your guys into good fights where they're competitive, where they're entertaining and build the sport back up. That's what we want to see build the sport because you and I know you know hey I've been around boxing you know I covered a heavyweight championship fight and I think it was 80 uh, 79 or 80 so I've been around this sport a long damn time and I love it but I I'm sick of seeing you know we don't the fights that we want to see not get made or get made way too late Mayweather Pacquiao being a perfect example what would Mayweather Pacquiao have been like, Chris, if it had happened in 2010 or 2011? You know, we'll never know. And I think it takes away from Floyd. I personally think Floyd would have won whenever they fought. But if Manny was the Manny of 2010 and not had been knocked out by Marquez and not had been beaten by Bradley when they fought, that that's, a you know, the perception of Floyd's win is a lot different. So I think, you know, PBC has to come to the table with the attitude that, hey, we want to bring our guys and put our guys in the best fight because it helps boxing. And you have a lot of good fighters in the PBC, Charlo being the two Charlo brothers being among them and build boxing up. And then it'll build your business if you build the sport. Hey, you were one of the reporters ringside for the run of Jimmy Braddock. I know that Cinderella man, and uh, you know I know you, I was there. I know you covered Joe Lewis extensively in your day. There's photographs. Jack evidence. Dempsey was a hell of a guy too. <laughs> Jack Dempsey, tremendous. I agree with everything you said. I mean, it's we talk about it all the time that you know there shouldn't be any sides of the street. You're right, boxing fans. It's like they root for networks or promoters. Like, why? Why, right, it's rooting, crazy. why? why do you care? Like, what the hell? What does it matter what network it's broadcast on as long as you get the fight that you want? So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. It brings me to the next topic, though, Kevin, which is Ryan Garcia, who is one of those fighters that can kind of transcend a lot of things because of his popularity, yes. both in terms of his Instagram following, the kind of crowd he draws uh, in, in buildings, the kind of numbers he draws on television, or in this case, a streaming service. Uh, Ryan's been pretty adamant that he wants Tank Davis to be his next fight. He was on this podcast last week talking about September being the date uh, for that fight. I have my doubts about that for myriad reasons. I mean, the top of mind is that, you know, it's not all the Mayweather side's fault, but when it comes to making deals of fights, when it comes to making these types of deals, they can be prickly, right? Like they can want a lot. In a, in a deal like this, and I'm not so sure that Golden Boy, Ryan Garcia, 
is going to be willing to give. I just don't see them getting together uh, on a deal like that. And Ryan, to me, Kevin, is still in the position where if he took, took some lesser fights, he wouldn't be criticized for it. And like the first fight I think of is Jorge Linares. I mean, Jorge Linares, who Garcia was scheduled to fight uh, over the summer before COVID hit, former champion, still very much a viable fighter coming off a knockout win on Ryan's undercard last February. Like that to me makes more sense now than trying to force a Tank Davis fight. And we can throw, look, we can talk about Devin Haney. I mean, this is a fight that Eddie Hearn is pushing for. He's talking about like how (laughs) Ryan is now the mandatory challenger. Like that means anything when it comes to, to Ryan Garcia at this point. But like Eddie wants to make Garcia versus Haney. I wouldn't complain about Garcia Haney, but I do think that fight can get a little bit bigger. Like I think you wait six months to a year and that fight probably is a major event as opposed to just an event for the real boxing fans right now. What do you think of of how Ryan's 2021 should look under ideal circumstances? Yeah, I agree with you that, you know, Linares would be a good opponent for him. But I think you have to consider this, you know, what is possible. Um, and there, there's if Lenar, if not Lenaris, then who? And I think that, you know, m- you know, maybe uh, Miguel Barchel would be a guy, right? Because he's talking about moving up to lightweight after his fight with Oscar Valdez. You know, he, that's a good introduction to, you know, he's a WBC champion. He's in that, you know, organization. I think that would be a good guy. But I'm intrigued by the Davis fight, and I love what Ryan Garcia is doing. He was on your podcast. He was on Tyson's podcast. He's everywhere. Uh, he was on the athletic podcast. I talked to him. A lot of people have been, you know, he's been getting himself out there. He's been doing the things he needs to do to get the fights made. Uh, he's selling the fights. And you know what? He's doing what he needs to do in the ring. You know, he's getting better. Is he there yet? I, I don't think so. When you look at this group, you know, I think he has the biggest potential to be a star. Who's going to be the best fighter out of that group when you consider Lopez, Garcia, uh, Haney, Tank Davis? Uh, you know, I, I still think Devin Haney has the most potential of the entire group. Uh, and I think Lopez isn't long for the, you know, so to say he's going to be the guy at lightweight, I, I think, you know, he has a fight or two more and then he's going to be a 140-pound fighter. Um, and so, you know, it, it's it's a shame that he's not going to be there. But I, I think Haney is the guy that has a tremendous amount of potential. But Garcia is the guy I think is going to be the biggest star. So, you know, I would I would like to see him take some, you know, fights that would build him uh, into that process. But I think, you know, that given that they're down the road with uh, Tank, go for it. My only negative to that is if you're going to do that, don't don't wait till September. Yeah. You know, don't, don't wait and give me nine months. You know, let's go. Just get sooner than that. I think that you know, hey, that would be a great fight for uh, for May. Uh, you know, Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, look, and if you're going to go in September, it gives you the opportunity to fight at least once before then, and you can fight. Right, you could take another fight in. in you can fight Lenars. And look, I think we both agree that's the kind of fight that you you probably need. You know, open venues. You you can't really do it in a pandemic because of the amount of revenue that would be lost. Uh, as a result of the crowd that would bring in. So you fight Linares, maybe you do that in Texas. You get the 6,000, whatever you can get in a building like AAC one more time and then see if you can move on. Tank, meanwhile, can move up to 135 again. Remember his last fight was at 130. Take on somebody like Linares, a Linares-like fighter, and then maybe build towards it and, and get there. I'm not saying wait forever, but I think that fight can wait a little bit longer as well. I'm with you on Teofimo, and I said this last week. You know, Teofimo's shelf life in 135 pounds 
it ends the second Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez get in the ring. Like when they get in the right. ring and they fight, boom, that's it. He's he's next on that list. My question is, because you know Teofimo is a take on all comers type of guy, and he's like yes, the, he he's like the only one out there calling out Devin Haney and saying I'll fight Devin Haney. Granted, he's got some exorbitant salary demands. Nobody's giving him ten million dollars. Uh, is that true though? I mean, that Devin Haney is saying that. I I don't know that anybody. Well, no, I think no. He he has like, and I believe it's on video. Um, he was at the fight at the Canelo fight. I think he said to Eddie Hearn, like 10 million or something like that. He's, he's suggest, I think he's thrown that number out there before. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe he's just throwing a number out there as a starting it's point. 10 million, that fight will not happen. That will not happen. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know what price point it happens at uh, during a pandemic. But, what, a million and a quarter to fight Lomachenko? You, you know, I mean, you're get not twice that, that, baby. I mean, maybe you get three, three and a half. I don't know. Something like that I think is more reasonable uh, to fight Devin Haney. But I'd love to see that fight. Not only does it clean up the, you know, the BS with the undisputed championship. Uh, I think it's a winnable fight for him. I I agree with you. I think Devin Haney is perhaps the most talented guy among that group of fighters, but we haven't seen him against a guy like Teofimo. We've seen him beat up on a totally washed Yuriorkis Gamboa, or... We haven't seen him against a guy like Ryan Garcia. We haven't seen him really against anybody with a pulse. No, you're right, And, and that's why I think it's a compelling fight. My question would be, and maybe you have any some insight into this, like, knowing what's at stake for top rank, you know, being able to say undisputed 135, undisputed at 140, do you risk it, you know, putting him in with Devin Haney? It's one thing to say George Cambusis is your opponent, you know, in the first quarter of the year. It's another thing to say it's a Devin Haney. That's a little bit uh, different. You think that top rank would have the appetite for that type of fight? I do. You know, I... Um, I- I, I think Bob Arrow might not want that fight. That wouldn't be a fight that Bob wouldn't want, but I think it's a fight Todd DeBuff would want. I think Todd has a different vision than, than Bob, and, and, and I agree with Todd to this extent. You know, he is trying to build the sport, like I said before. And so his feeling is, you know what, let's get the sport up and let, let's put as many good fights out there as the public can see, the fights that people want to see, the fights that we know are going to be compelling, good TV, uh, and and bring the boxing fan back. Because I think what you have is a lot of disaffected boxing fans. I run into people all the time, and I'm sure you do too, Chris, who when you're talking to them and they talk about boxing, oh, I quit watching the fight when Don King did this or when this happened. You know, there's always some moment in time where they quit watching it. And then you tell them, hey, you know what, there's all all these good fighters out there, you know, that you start to get their ear again i think they just need to get that buzz back and the fact that that tyson you know farce of a thing did 1.9 million it sold almost 2 million pay-per-views that is showing you that if you get a name boxer now tyson's bigger than anybody can possibly be today the public is interested in it you can get that kind of interest and so i i think the top rank would do that because they got the espn behind them espn is really committed to it i saw um, a video that uh, jimmy pitaro was talking to some of uh, the espn president talking to some of the employees and he specifically mentioned top rank once they started going on a regular you know uh, rotation not the summer stuff but on the on the Saturday night, like they normally do, their ratings went way up and they did really good numbers. And so he noted that in his uh, end of the year speech to his employees as, as a great, uh, a great thing looking forward to 2021. So I think ESPN is excited um, about uh, the potential the top rank can give them. And so I think that they would endorse doing that because that's another really big fight. And that would get a lot of attention in the, uh, in the marketplace. And I think it would be a fight that could draw 3 million people on TV, like, uh, like some of these other, you know, Loma and, um, and, uh, 
uh, Lopez did in, in Crawford and, uh, and Kel Brook. Yeah, I, I think that the success of Lomachenko against Lopez has got to be eye-opening for you know people in the television industry. It's you know three millions, not like a college football game or at least a big one, but it's a big number for boxing, and it shows that if you put a compelling fight on TV, there is a strong audience for it. So I, I hope that's something that they consider in the first half of uh, 2021. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's tap into your other side, your other job there, Kevin, as an MMA reporter. Uh, A lot of chatter still about the possibility of Manny Pacquiao and Conor McGregor facing off in a boxing match. Adiatar, who represents both men as a manager, has said it's, I'm paraphrasing, but it's inevitable that that fight is going to happen. Uh, McGregor obviously is scheduled to return to the Octagon this month. Pacquiao doesn't have an opponent yet in boxing, but he's suggested that you know, he wants McGregor to at least be one of his fights in 2021. Meanwhile, Dana White's out there saying, no, 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 no. That, that fight, the Pacquiao fight, Connor, is always going to be there. Focus strictly on MMA in 2021. What's your read on that situation? How likely is it that we see Pacquiao-McGregor sometime this year? I think if the public really demanded it, if the, like they did with the Floyd fight, 
I think it would be a different story, but I don't sense that the pub, you know, I don't know that the public feels like Manny is that guy anymore, right? I, I think the public loves Manny. But look, his pay-per-views have been doing, you know, 400,000 good numbers, but they have not been, you know, been killing it with, you know, these, you know, seven-figure pay-per-views in the last couple of years. Uh, I, I think people saw Connor in a boxing match. They know what would happen in a fight against Manny. Um, and when you just look at it from a strict MMA sense, Connor is fighting Dustin Poirier on uh, January 23rd. The winner of that fight will fight for the UFC lightweight championship in the next fight. Do you pass that up if you're Conor McGregor? Um, forgetting what Dana White would say, which I think he would be, you know, he wouldn't let it happen and he has the ability to do that. I just don't see it making sense for Conor McGregor, you know, because you're, you probably lose your chance at the MMA fight forever if you don't take the championship. You know, at that point, you know, he fought one time in um, 2020. What did he fight? Did he fight? He didn't even fight at all in 2019, you know, so he, there was so long of a period of time that he hasn't been fighting that I think if, if he doesn't take the opportunity to fight for the championship in uh, this year, if he beats Dustin Poirier. Now, if he loses to Poirier, I think that's a different story right then you know maybe you can go into the fight because he doesn't have the title obligation but he's you know about a nearly a three to one favorite to win the fight against Dustin Poirier I think that will you know maybe determine if it happens you know hey Dana is not against the fight that's going to you know sell two million on pay-per-view but I think he he reads the tea leaves pretty well and knows right now you know what would Pacquiao uh, McGregor do on pay-per-view I of course it would do a million I think it might you know a million and a quarter something like that would it do do much more than that I think it would depend on how many boxing people would be into it. You know, that that's what I would think. Yeah, I don't know how many boxing people would be interested in Pacquiao McGregor. I think it's a limited number now, but as you know, if they do some kind of killer promotion where Conor McGregor talks like Conor McGregor is known to talk, he might be able to sell half a million more pay-per-view buys just with his mouth. Like, I think that's possible. If he loses to Poirier, though... I don't know what the market is. I mean, when it was McGregor versus Mayweather, McGregor could make the case that he was at the top of the pack. Like he right. was number one uh, in UFC. And you talk about number one pound for pound in boxing. You could sell that a little bit. If he gets beat and beats badly in this rematch, and you can tell me uh, how you see that fight playing out, I I'm not sure what the market is. Uh, I also don't know what the market for Pacquiao is otherwise. I mean, fighters are lining up to go and get him, but there's not really any interest in Team Pacquiao in fighting Errol Spence. There's not a whole lot of interest in Team Pacquiao in fighting Terrence Crawford. I mean, I think Mikey Garcia makes sense, but you've got to wait till the Middle East opens up right. for that fight to happen uh, down the line. So, I mean, you know, he hasn't fought since July of 2019, we could be heading for you know July of 2021 before we see Pacquiao. Right. Again. So it's uh, <laughs> I mean, you know it's it's a t it's a tough spot. I mean, you know. If I'm Manny's management, I don't want to put him in a fight with Conor McGregor. It, you know, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? It just doesn't do so. And I think, I think the Mikey Garcia fight is is the perfect fight for him. I really do. I think that's a terrific fight that, um, you know, that's significant in the industry. That's not a slam dunk that he wins. Uh, but I, I think it'll it'll attract people from all demographics, and I think that's a fight that you know should happen. Um, so I I would look for that fight. I think Earl Spence today made some kind of comment about you know Pacquiao's size too so um you know when that I remember we uh, on Yahoo Sports we did a preview show uh on air and we did it live uh and uh 
It was for the Keith Thurman Pacquiao fight. And I, I had Spence on as a, a guest uh, at the, after the weigh-in. And when I brought him over, Manny had just been with me. So I have Manny here, and now, you know, he goes this way, and in comes Errol this way. And I looked at him, and the first thing I said is, you look like a light heavyweight. Now, that was in comparison to Manny, but really, when you look at him, he's a big freaking dude. And he's cutting way down. You know, Manny, Manny will go into training camp weighing 146, and he's going to go into the fight weigh in 146. He's not going to cut weight. He's not going to do anything. He's just going to fight at the weight he's at. And again, you know, he can beat most guys doing that. He beat Keith Thurman doing that. And that's, that says something. That's why Manny Pacquiao is one of the greatest fighters who ever lived. But beating Errol Spence is a totally different story. And I think the two guys that Manny doesn't need to fight are Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence. Ah, because not only could you lose, and we say this on the podcast all the time, but you can get hurt or really embarrassed. And Pacquiao has earned the right not to put himself in those situations. He's taken on all comers at every stage of his career. You don't need to go into a fight with an in-their-prime, you know, top-five fighter. You don't have to do it. Yeah, this is the guy other... that was a flyweight. He was yeah, a yeah. flyweight. And we're talking about him fighting, you know, a, a massive welterweight. I mean, it's not... And Mike, against Mikey, like, Mikey's a good fight. Like, yeah. I don't know who wins that fight. Mikey's such a good tactician in the ring. He'd be fighting at welterweight, but Pacquiao's not a real welterweight. Most of his weight's in his calves. Right. Like, it's, it's more about... Uh, there's more of a size equality in that particular situation. So... I hope that fight is able to be done at some point in the summer. I get the feeling from talking to people around Pacquiao that that's the fight that they really want. Mikey Garcia has been very vocal about wanting uh, that fight. If they can find the money for it somewhere uh, as this pandemic hopefully winds down, uh, it could be a great fight uh, for boxing. Let me finish with Adrian Broner, Kevin, as we kind of enter, you know, Adrian Broner redemption story 4.6, or I don't know what it is at this point, where where we are with Adrian Broner. He is going to return in February. His opponent, uh, Pedro Campo, dropped out because of a COVID-related issue. Showtime right now scrambling uh, to find another opponent as we record this podcast. Uh, do we think there is a new chapter to Adrian Broner's career? Because... We've heard all the right things. He's down in South Florida. He's quit drinking. He's training all the time with Gervonta Davis and Robert Easter in that gym down there. You know, you see some of the pictures. It looks like he's in pretty good shape. But at the same time, he's looked like he's been in good shape for all of his fights. Like he's made the weight for, or at least the contracted weight, for, for all of his fights. Um, is this, you know, kind of just one of those stories that gets written about but doesn't really have any kind of teeth to it or do you think that there is a second chapter if you will at 31 years old to adrian broner's career you know i think uh for when you look at adrian broner everybody's like a missourian you know show me right i think this next fight is going to be the show me fight for adrian broner is this true we love redemption stories right you know i think we in the media love it the public loves it you know if a guy was down and he manages to get his life back together and turn around and win a championship the people like like that and there's there's a lot of compelling stuff to that broner was an extremely talented guy who has kind of allowed himself and his personal life and his career to spiral out of control. Um, ha does he have anything left? We don't know. You know, I mean, he's lived a hard life. You know, he's 31 years by the calendar, but in boxing years, I think he's probably a lot older than that. So I think, you know, what happens with Broner in the future is going to depend on two things, you know, um, 
how he looks in that fight first and foremost. You know, does he look like any semblance of the old Adrian Broner? And if he does, does he comport himself? You know, um, he doesn't have to be a choir boy, but I think, you know, he just was making himself so dislikable to so many people that, you know, nobody wanted to you know, see him fight. Uh, I think if he comports himself better and handles himself in that particular fight, and then comes out and fights, then I think, you know, then people are going to be interested in fighting him and you'll see, you know, you'll see something happen. I think it's all going to be up to how he handles himself uh, next month. I think, and you can weigh in on this. I've always wondered just how good Adrian Broner was. Like you described him as a talented guy and, and he is, but I mean, I think we can all agree that, you know, the four division champion stuff, I mean, he was pretty carefully matched early on yeah. in his career. I mean, he didn't fight any real legitimate opponents until, not to say legitimate, but high-end opponents until he got to Marcos Maidan. And from there, it was all downhill losing when he fights, faced yeah. anybody. Yeah, losing or getting draws. Like, it was all B-level fights or or worse uh, or better for, uh, that he was uh, not coming up successful. Uh, and so I wonder, you know, w- what we're going to see here. I mean, he's probably going to fight moving forward at 140 if he can make that weight. At 147, I don't think he has any shot against any of the top guys. I don't, you know, he's just not strong enough. He's not active enough. And what you saw against Maidana and others is going to happen to him. Mikey Garcia, uh, well, that was at 140. You're going to see that happen to him over and over again. The test to me is not going to come in this fight because I think they're going to line him up with somebody that just falls down. Uh, I think think the next one's probably going to be Regis Progray. I think that's what PBC is kind of lining him up for. Maybe that's on Showtime or Fox. Maybe that's on pay-per-view uh, to make the money work. But, you know, Progre is chomping at the bit for that fight. That's one of the reasons he signed over with PBC to get that fight because he knows how much money uh, is involved with it. And the Adrian Broner I know from the last few years does not beat Regis Progre. Oh, that no, Adrian no, no. Broner... That guy gets beat up. Like, not just beat, but beat up. Progre is a brawler in there in the ring, and I think he beats up on Adrian Broner. So I I guess I'm curious, you know, over the next six months, he gets through this fight in February, gets a win, maybe he wins by knockout, gets kind of some of the momentum back. Does he get right back in the gym? Or we know about the financial issues. Was that all he was fighting for? You know, to get out of some of the debt that he's in right now, and does the motivation kind of lapse uh, over the next, uh, in in between this and that fight, because you know, if he faces Progre, Progre is going to be training for that fight. Progre is going to want Progray's that fight training badly. right now. As we're talking, he's in the gym. <laughs> he's in the gym. Uh, that's that's going to be the question. Like Progre with me will be the test. Like Progre is a very very good fighter. Lost a world championship unification fight by the skin of his teeth. Barely lost that fight to Josh Taylor. Um, I I can't in good conscience, you know, make any kind of prognostication that indicates that Broner would win that fight. Not the Broner that I've seen over the last couple of years. I saw Broner fight as an amateur, and I thought when I saw him, I thought, oh, this guy is going to really be good because the, the first thing you saw was he had that fast hand. I mean, he was so fast, and then he could move, right? And, it had, and he had that jab, and I thought, boy, this guy is really going to be good. And I think in his early days you know, as a pro, you saw that, but once he got some money and he surrounded himself with the wrong people and he started drinking and he started party and his whole nine yards you know it affected his physicality I mean he wasn't the same guy and um, I don't think he can do the same things now 
if you get a good trainer with them that get, gets them into shape and gets them conditioned and all that, can he get any of it back? You know, I suppose he can get some of it back. He's never going to be what the peak Adrian Broner was whenever, you know, it was a Gavin Rees fighter, whenever we want to talk however long DeMarco, ago. maybe Antonio DeMarco yeah. probably was right there. I mean, there. one of those fights so long ago. Um, but, you know, the guy did have some talent. And, you know, he could do things in the ring. Uh, and the fact that, you know, you mentioned Maidana. Hey, look, Maidana gave Floyd two hard fights, especially the first fight, right? And Broner, you know, Broner hung in there with him. I mean, so, you know, don't I, you don't dog him. You know, he's a tough guy and, he, and he's got ability. I just think he's blown his talent. And, you know, what can he do to come back? I mean, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have what I would consider a career-defining win, Chris. I think he's just a, a talented guy that's kind of aimlessly floating around out there and thought he was a star when he really wasn't. Um, pro, I think Pro Gray beats him up and beats him up badly. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what uh, happens. I think if, if he, you know, if he shows flashes of those fast hands and of a hungry guy in this next fight, we know he's going to fight somebody that almost will get blown over. If he fights, you know, well and he comports himself well, I think the public will at least buy him and give him one more chance. And if he happens to come up and step up and be pro gray, look out. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's a he's a factor. Yeah, what made him, in my mind, so good at 130 and 135 was he combined those fast hands with more of a fearlessness than you saw at 140 and 147. And that's largely because what's coming back at you right. at 140 and 147 is a lot different than what the Gavin Reeses or the Vicente Escobedos or the Eloy Perez's of the world are throwing at you in the lower weight classes. That's, that's always going to be a question to me. Like he didn't throw enough punches to beat Jesse Vargas. He certainly didn't throw enough punches to beat Sean Porter now, or Mikey Garcia. I mean, yeah, like, and, and Malinaji is not a power puncher, certainly not at 147. Um, th that, to me, is always going to be a question, too. And Progray's kind of like the wrong guy to test that theory against. Like, Progray hits hard, and he's coming to hit you hard every single time he throws. He's not jabbing you to death. He's trying to hit you with haymakers uh, the entire fight, as he has for most of his career. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that... I don't know if he can get that back. Like, he, he made some noise about making 135, which obviously is just never going to happen, not at this stage of his career. But hypothetically, if he could, like, then I might buy into Adrian Broner because at that weight, it's not the same type of power you're facing. But at 140 against Progray, at 147 against anybody, it's hard for me to see him letting his hands go enough to win these fights. Right, I agree with that completely. I mean, you know... It, it's two things, you know, the guys that are, he's throwing his punches at can take it better at 40 and 47, Yeah, you know, bigger, stronger guys. So he's not getting that advantage. And then what's coming back at him, you know, they take it, they smile and they fire back, you know, and all of a sudden it's, whoa, you know, I'm in a, in a I mean, Hey, look, Jesse Vargas kind of made his name off, off a draw with uh, Broner that I, I personally thought Vargas deserved to win the fight. Um, you I know, what, whatever uh, Jesse is perceived to be right now, I think a lot of it came from the win over, you know, or the fight over with Broner. And, um, you know, I think that Adrian has wasted a, what I think was a lot of talent and could have been, you know, a significant player in, in the sport, you know, and he's going to go down and, you know, uh, people are going to argue, should he make the hall of fame? I mean, if his career ended today, to me, no chance he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, no career-defining wins. And, you know, he was just a loudmouth guy that, you know, blew a lot of ability. Kind of the opposite of Floyd. You know, Floyd was a guy that had that ability and maximized it. 
and, and Adrian was a guy that had the ability, you know, that ability and, and squandered it. Yeah, the, the comp is Floyd, you know, attracted a large urban audience and capitalized on it, whereas Broner attracted not a similar audience, but that urban audience and was not able to kind of build on it. He still has it to a degree, but uh, certainly not uh, able to, to utilize it the way Floyd did. Uh, Kevin, uh, I am going to get you a Better BF Canelo t-shirt to go right alongside my uh, Charlo Andre t-shirt. We can I'm have starting it, in, it now. We can have it in the fights that will probably never happen Hall of Fame. We can put them up as uh, we'll be those match- We'll be the first matchmakers in that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Kevin, good to talk to you, man. Always appreciate your time. Thank you, brother. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.